Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times. Your host is Seattle Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. This semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the Mariners, Major League Baseball, food, and whatever else Ryan and his guests decide to talk about. And now, here's your host, Ryan Divish. All right, we're back. Um, we took a week hiatus from our weekly podcast thing because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, it just didn't line up right. I, I actually had thought about trying to record one on that Wednesday uh, before Thanksgiving. And then, um, but Larry had some stuff going on. And so we just couldn't make it work. And then, you know, with some news coming out this week and stuff, it all just kind of lined up. Uh, a little bit better um, to do it this week. So I'm recording this Friday evening at 5. Uh, I wanted to do it this morning and have the um, podcast out by by 1 or 2 this afternoon. But it, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but I had a little incident yesterday in Seattle. I went up to lunch at Jack's Barbecue in the Georgetown area, kind of on Airway Boulevard. Love that place. Jack's Barbecue. I can't recommend it enough. Get the Texas chili with no beans. You know, it has no beans. It's just cooked brisket and a spicy sauce. And they put some cheese on it. Oh, man, it's great. Great brisket. Uh, mac and cheese is solid. And they have Shinerbach. Uh, anyways, I went up there to have lunch with my boss. And that was great. You know, we're just kind of talking about some things. And, and then when I get out to my vehicle... I noticed that the back of my Ford Explorer, the window has been smashed. And I'm thinking, my God, somebody broke into my vehicle in the middle of daylight in front of this teriyaki restaurant. And this gentleman comes out uh, that was kind of working on the grounds. And he goes, you're not going to believe this. And I was like, what? He goes, see that van that's parked behind you? I said, yeah. He goes, well, a, a box truck came by and the mirror on the box truck hit the mirror on, and it was speeding and it, the mirror on the box truck hit the mirror on the van and sent it flying through the back of your window. And I was like, what? And I look on the ground and there's pieces of the mirror that had broken off on impact after smashing my window and parts of the mirror were down the street and everything like that. And so the, the quality of luck I had, my window got smashed out by another van and all this stuff. And then even worse, the the box truck driver wasn't around, so I'm thinking, oh, I just like hit and run it, you know. I once had a Tacoma bus, uh, city bus, hit my mirror on my vehicle, and they just kept going, which really made me happy. But the guy, the driver, came back, and we got his insurance stuff and everything, and and so um, you know I had to pay for the window to be replaced, but I'll be reimbursed by his insurance company. So that all worked out pretty well. But that's kind of the reason why I was getting my window replaced today and dealing with that kind of stuff uh, all afternoon, all morning and all afternoon dealing with some of the logistical stuff. So we just couldn't record it. And also Larry's, um, Larry was at the office today. His son, uh, who goes to w Western Washington, uh, was in on a tour with a bunch of journalism students and Larry wanted to be there for that. So it just, we had to record it at 4 p.m. this afternoon and, and then I'll try and get it out as soon as possible. Um, the topics we discover, we discussed this week, obviously the trade of Omar Narvaez. I know we mentioned a lot about our Narvaez's def defensive deficiencies um, in the catching podcast we did. And, and that's kind of the big impetus for the trade. In a lot of ways, we just kind of go into why uh, Omar was traded. I, I wrote about it pretty extensively. It, it is the defensive issues that he has, um, kind of some conditioning and projection issues about where he might regress physically and lead to injuries and just kind of the fatigue that he experienced at the end of the season. Um, and, and also just kind of the roster depth and, um, 
I, I want to say roster depth and kind of like the surplus. You know, you have catchers, you know, they consider Austin Nola still a catcher, particularly now that they signed Evan White to that six-year deal. Uh, Evan White's going to be the everyday first baseman, so where are you going to play Austin Nola? Well, Austin Nola is pretty valuable hitter, uh, and you're not paying him very much, so they're going to use him as the backup, and they, and I think everybody believes that Nola is a better catcher than Nobar, or than Omar, not Nomar, Omar, um, and so, you know, you're going to go with Murphy as your everyday guy. Nola's probably the backup. They'll they'll sign a veteran guy to come in and be at AAA in case some things go wrong. Uh, but, yeah, that's kind of the reasoning behind it. So Larry and I get into that. Uh, we discussed a little bit about the Evan White contract. I, I can't remember if we did it the last time, but we discussed a little bit more about that and the risk-reward. Um, and then we get into the non-tender situation. Uh, oh, I know. We, we also talk about the signings of Kendall Graveman, Carl Edwards Jr., um, Typical Mariner signs for where they're at right now. Guys with injuries or bounce-back candidate type of guys for low money. Maybe they trade him at the deadline. Maybe they keep him for a year or two. Um, but they're low-risk, kind of high-reward type of signings. Um, we also get in the non-tender situation. Domingo Santana and Tim Beckham not offered contracts as arbitration-eligible guys. Uh, obviously, the Beckham thing was... Was not surprising in the least because he's suspended and he's just a terrible player. Uh, Santana was a little bit more surprising. They tried really hard to trade him. They just didn't have a market. I mean, I think his defensive issues and, and the cliff he kind of fell off of uh, in, in terms of at the plate um, and some of the uh, just the holes in his swing and, and how pitchers attacked him, I pretty much, you know, torpedoed his value. So those guys aren't back. And we discussed a little bit about um, Jerry adding maybe some guys that were non-tender by other teams, like Taiwan Walker or somebody like that. We discussed some of that, those possibilities. Um, and then finally, we just kind of preview the winter meetings. We talk about the meetings and what it's like. Um, and then also just kind of what the Mariners do, whether Jerry does anything or not. He says he's not going to do much. Uh, I think he might do a few small things. I think he'll continue to shop D. Gordon at the meetings. I don't know if he'll ever be able to get that done. Um uh, without eating all the contract. Um, and that takes approval from John Stanton as well. But, you know, so we kind of just talk about the winter meetings and what to expect. I fly out Sunday morning for the meeting. So we, I may do uh, some chats and some a pop-up podcast here or there if something goes on at the meetings. But I, I'm not expecting a, a bunch to happen there. Then again, it's Jerry DePoto, so he can't really uh, make those kinds of predictions either because sometimes he just gets that itch and he, he makes moves. So... Let's just get to Larry. We only talked for about 47 minutes, but we were a lot more succinct than usual, which is a first step. So let's get to Larry Stone. Welcome in, Larry Stone. Uh, we took the holiday off. Larry, how was your Thanksgiving? Uh, it was good. It, quiet. Quiet Thanksgiving. Just uh, my, my daughter and her husband came over, and my son came home from college, and my other daughter couldn't come home from college, so we had almost the whole family, but it was nice. How about you? Oh, my Thanksgiving was great, and you know why it was great, because I didn't, <laughs> I successfully avoided all invitations to go to anyone's house on Thanksgiving. I sat around and watched football and college basketball, and then later that night, hey, I made a Red Baron pizza, I put it in the fridge for an hour, and then ate it cold, because that's what I do, that's how I like my 
you're the Thanksgiving version of Scrooge. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that I would mean, be. I mean, like, if I could do that for, if I could do that for Christmas too, it'd be great, but I'm yeah. going back to Montana. So I don't think my mom's going to let me do that. Yeah. You can suffer through it for, for one day and then come back here and spring training will be right around the corner. Uh, well, let's get to the news of it. Um, <laughs> Omar Narvaez has been traded to the Milwaukee Brewers for a, a prospect named Adam Hill and really the draft pick, which I think is going to be like number 71, maybe number 72, depending on some of these um, players with qualifying age uh, offer signing. Um, and I think that's the more inherent value in that, you know, if you draft right with that extra pick in the, the top 70 picks, that's that's pretty important. Um any thoughts? Were you surprised or anything like that? I mean, we spent the last week talking about how <laughs> terrible he was on defense. Yeah, not totally surprised. I mean, it had kind of leaked out about a week ago that he was on the block, and you kind of had an inkling that it was going to happen right around the winter meeting. So uh, I was prepared for it. Um, you know, the guy they got a 22-year-old prospect fourth round pick he's not a what you'd call a blue chipper he's got he's got some promise he's a big tall guy who throws hard um you know he's but he's so young in his career you just don't know what he's going to become but i agree it's the the pick uh that they got it's it's the equivalent of an early third round pick when you figure it's going to be about what did you say 71 overall and there's 30 teams so you figure you know 30 60 then you've got about 10 more picks, not counting all the the uh, sandwich round picks and everything. So if, you know, in football, if you, you, you get about a third round pick when you trade star players, so uh, you can get a good player, but there's no guarantee. They uh, Isaiah Campbell, um, who's one of their top pitching prospects now out of Arkansas, was uh, a similar type pick in the Edwin Encarnacion trade last year. Uh, 76th overall so you know they think that he's going to be really good so uh, but it's not going to do it's, the, the, the bottom line is this is not a trade that's going to make you better in 2020 oh no um, this is a future trade um, I mean you could argue that it's going to make you worse because Narvaez was one of their best hitters you can the counter argument would be that it's going to make the pitching better because he was a hack behind the plate and now they'll have better defense behind the plate so uh, you know, I, I think it's. I think a lot of fans just look at it and said, well, "Why did they trade a guy who, uh, you know, hit as well as as Narvaez did, with a OPS in the in the eight hundreds and twenty two home runs?" But I think the Mariners, one, didn't trust his defense. Two, thought that his power was a, a product of the juiced ball more than like his re- real. Uh, power potential and that he was going to make about three million dollars so and they have depth at the position so in that light it did make some sense i mean like there is a market and i don't know that in talking with depoto that he expected there to be this uh catching market to kind of develop the way it did but there was a market for narvaez they had calls on austin nola and probably the most calls on tom murphy um but uh, from yeah, from the standpoint of, and it's not just the Mariners that believe that this power might be a one-off, but a lot of opposing scouts. I mean, it's it's a tough thing in talking with a couple of these pro scouts. Is like, what is to be believed after this season? 
<clears throat> because there were so many home runs and the ball was so juiced up and flying so far that they don't know really what to make of the production, you know, if it's a one-off or if this is something real. Um, you know, there were some concerns with Narvaez about conditioning, his weight, um, just his body frame and type, that it wasn't, you know, that he regresses during the season, you know, he fatigues because he's carrying a lot of, a lot of weight on his frame, um, you know, and they really had hoped that his defense, with them emphasizing it as much as they did in spring and even throughout the season, that it would take a jump up, and it really didn't. It was, it was bad, and it was to the point where pitchers didn't want to pitch to him, and you know, you've got all these young pitchers coming up. You know, you, you need a guy that, that can handle that position, not just from like a, the, the fundamentals of catching, framing, receiving, blocking, but also in terms of preparation. And that's not something he was great at either, that he always kind of put his offense ahead of of the, the position responsibilities of preparing each night. And I think that's another issue, whereas Tom Murphy is ultra-prepared to the point of like obsessive-compulsive and I think they felt more comfortable. If you're going to have all these young pitchers up there at the big leagues, you want to have a catcher that's going to help them get through this as much as possible when we're on the field. Yeah, and I think Nervais probably fits more into the Brewers where they are now. They're a playoff team. Uh, they just lost Yasmani Grandal, their catcher, to the White Sox as a free agent. So they, they have a need at the position. They could plug him in. Uh, you know, they have aspirations of contending. And, you know, a guy with a with a bat like that, a more veteran-oriented pitching staff, maybe it's not as important as it is to the Mariners with their young pitchers to have a, a guy who's uh, more focused on the stuff you were talking about. So I could see it from their standpoint. Uh, you know, they, they probably didn't think that the asking price was too overwhelming, uh, a mid-level prospect, and, the, and then the... Um, competitive balance pick which i'm sure they didn't want to give up but to get a guy like narvaez who you know for all his faults was still you know a plus war player who uh i think you could you know is going to give you a good at bat so i i could i I think it kind of made sense for both teams how many home runs do you think you'll hit this year you hit 22 the previous high was nine i mean (laughs) i asked I asked around. A lot of people think his his true power is somewhere between maybe ten to twelve homers, maybe fifteen most. You know, and that jump from fifteen to twenty two, pretty high. I mean, you think that's where he's at? More of a fifteen. Well, he's going to a better hitting park and a better hitting division. If you think about the places he'll play. Yeah, I think a lot of it is a mystery because we don't know how baseball is going to handle the ball. Is it going to? Did it decide to sort of? Uh, deactivated in the off season and and uh is it going to be the same ball with the same power next year uh i don't think we know the answer to those questions i mean there was a lot of talk about in the postseason that there was a a, a, a less uh, juicy ball and the numbers sh- seemed to show it there were a lot of people who did a lot of in-depth studies and were convinced uh, physicist type <laughs> sports writers slash physicists who think that were absolutely convinced that, that there was a different ball in the postseason. Will they continue that in the next regular season? Was this uh, just an aberrational year where the numbers will come down or will they keep this, the same thing? If it was the ball, I mean, I, I think there's pretty strong evidence that there was something going on with the ball last year. Um, you know, I, baseball denies it pretty vehemently, but I think 
it's hard to 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 look at the numbers of home runs and also the triple a numbers uh when they were in, introduced to the new ball so to answer your question of how many home runs he's going to hit i i'd say anywhere probably from 10 to about 25 yeah you know it's <clears throat> talking with some people within baseball you know, they said they didn't change the ball, but I, a lot of people admit that it's, like, different. And one of the things is is because it's, you know, they kind of hand-make these things, you know, they by the way that the process of, of, of manufacturing these balls, a lot of these is by hand, that sometimes even if you do all the same specifications, for whatever reason, like they get stitched a little tighter or something, they just come out a little differently. Um, and so that was, I'm talking with some people, that's what their discussion was. And these weren't people that work for MLB, but within MLB. And they thought that, you know, they obviously want to make sure it's different next year, but I don't think they can totally predict what's going to happen. Like there, there wasn't an intent to juice up the balls that it just kind of happened this year with the, the set of baseballs they have. I guess that's their excuse. I don't know, but yeah, I'll be curious to see how that affects. I mean, he's going in Milwaukee's a better hitters park for certain be hitting in a better lineup um you know you're playing in, in Wrigley you're playing you know, like, you know Pittsburgh's not great but St. Louis isn't bad Cincinnati, Cincinnati is a, Cincinnati is a, is a yeah it's a launching so he pad. might get he might get 20 home runs again I mean you know given where, where he's playing I'm I know that there is in talking with the, some scouts that they really thought that he really fatigued late in the season and you know that even affected his defense more that he was just not carrying the weight well, and he, he kind of got lazy behind the plate, and they were wondering, you know, when the injury issues will start happening, when you don't kind of condition at the level you're supposed to. Usually, you know, as you get older, the injury issues start to crop up, especially at that position. So I'll be curious to see how it works. I hope the, you know, I mean, like, I'm happy I don't have to watch him catch anymore. He did put together <laughs> a good at bat. Um, but, you know, it, given, too, like, with, with, with having Evan White, which we'll probably discuss later, but with having Evan White likely to be on the opening day roster, I mean, you have Austin Nola, who is a good player for you that is making significantly less, who is a, probably a better defensive catcher than Narvaez anyways. You need to find a place for him to play because if you're going to have Evan White on the roster, he's playing every day. You're not having him share time with Austin Nola at first base. Evan White's going to play until he shows that he you know, can't, you know, if he struggles, then obviously they can send him down. But, you know, you have to keep him playing there. Um, so I think that's also part of their roster decision as well, is that, like, look, you got Nola, you've got Murphy, you have Evan White at first base. You know, one of the catchers is expendable by nature. And, and this, the hit Narvaez, moving Narvaez is probably the most the best way for them to kind of go forward. Yeah, to me, this is a strong sign that they plan to make White – the everyday first baseman out of camp. Um, I mean, I it, it doesn't. It's not set in stone, but I think this is a pretty good indication. And then you're right. Then it comes down to Nola's going to be the backup catcher, maybe uh, a spot starter at first base. But then it comes down to do do you want Narvaez or do you want Murphy to be your everyday catcher? And they made their they they made their choice. They 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 decided on Murphy, which. Uh, you know, he. I think he's also a candidate for regression. To, oh yeah. You know, uh, I mean, because so much of his stuff came against left-handed pitching last year. His success. Right. Yeah, and uh, they're not going to be able to spot him as much in favorable positions. I mean, this is a guy who uh, I don't think 
he gave any indication <laughs> that he was a 535 slugging guy, which he put up last year. Yeah. So we'll we'll see if he uh, if he can maintain that. I mean, the same things that the same factors that were going to lead to you know the ball and all that uh, a regression for Naveas could come into play for Murphy as well. Yeah, I'm curious as far as Cal Raleigh goes. People have been asking. Look, he he played the second half of last year, not even the second half, but the last I think two months at Double A. The he wasn't quite as uh, dominant a hitter at Double A. There was some power there, but I I think he starts there again. I think the goal for him, especially with no forty man roster call or you know with the limited call ups in September this year, I think the goal for him should just be to play well enough. That by midseason he's promoted to AAA, and then start next season at AAA, and then maybe you know by the end of uh, not the twenty twenty one or the twenty twenty one season he'd be starting at AAA in Tacoma, and by the end of that twenty twenty one season he's at the big league level because catchers just take a little bit longer to progress, uh, you know all the defensive responsibilities, and also he's a switch hitter as well. But I think ultimately that's the guy that they want to you know, have as their everyday catcher. Yeah. Yeah. And he just turned 23 like a week ago. The birthday was November 26th. And, uh, you know, I think they'd be wise not to rush him. We saw what happened with Zunino. He was rushed to the big leagues and paid a price offensively. Um, you know, he's the, the Raleigh is the anointed one and they're going to want to get him up here quickly. But, uh, you know, he's basically, two years into his pro career, a year and a half. So uh, I don't think yeah, there's an off chance that maybe at some point in the 21 season he could be the starter. But probably 22 would be a more reasonable time. So two more seasons. Maybe, he, like you said, he breaks in at some point next year or the year after next. Yeah, that's um, – also, remember we had that debate on whether Zanino would get tendered or not. He got a, He got tendered. He got a contract. Yeah, good for him. Uh, I didn't think it would happen based on his uh, numbers last year, but um, they uh, once they once uh, Darno left, um, they basically didn't have a, another catcher. I mean, he hit one sixty five last year, yeah. so they're banking on a lot on improvement because they're what's he got like four million dollars, I think. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, Let's uh, you know we've talked about how much we both think of Mike, so hopefully he'll revive his career and uh, um, you know somehow find a stroke again. I wouldn't be surprised too if the Mariners go and get an older catcher. I was I'm looking at the catcher list now, but somebody like Nick Hunley, you know, sign him on a minor league or a split contract uh, and see you know in case they need to. You know, in case White were to struggle in spring or whatever, but have a, a, a kind of a veteran holdover at AAA, uh, waiting to to be called up. Uh, if you you know if you're concerned that maybe White isn't ready, you're going to have to move Nola there. That way, you have an option, probably a left-handed hitting one as well. Nick Hunley from Lake Washington High School in Kirkland. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot his, about his, that. His dad was the, I believe, defensive coordinator for New Heisel. Um, and that's why they were living here at oh, the time. I did not know that. Yeah, I think they'll have some guys on a minor league sign as well. Because, you know, every year you bring in, like, last year they had Jose Lobaton or whatever. Because I think the the catcher by the end of the season, the starting catcher at Tacoma last year was a guy named Joe Odom. And I don't know. Uh, I don't know. 
uh, if that, that, you know, he's ready to, like, if they had to have him fill in as the backup, I'm not sure they want to go there. How about Guillermo Quiros? Is he still around? Uh, he's not on the <laughs> list. Yeah, I forgot about that guy. <laughs> no, I don't. I think he's been out of ball. Jesus for a few Sucre years, but... is he still around somewhere? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like but... Miguel Oliva is probably calling Roger Hansen right now, saying, "Hey, man, I'm in shape. Bring me back. I'll be the backup." <laughs> There's a million guys like that, like like uh, backup uh, thir- third string catchers who who hang around I mean, forever. Look at how long Rene Rivera is. Yeah, Rene Rivera. Uh, just, yeah, but probably uh, who's your guy from Montana? That uh, oh, Rob Johnson. Rob Johnson probably has got some eligibility yeah, left. He's, he's down coaching little league in <laughs> Texas. With my my buddy, one of my high school buddies, is in the same kind of area. Rob's been trying to get his son to play for him. <laughs> well, so he's rested. He's he's definitely ready to yeah. come back. Uh, uh, we mentioned the Evan White thing briefly there, but any thoughts on that? I mean, we'd heard, you know, I, we, I think we talked about it on, not on the podcast or whatever, but I think we mentioned it at the end of the season that I'd heard White was looking for that. But I mean, it's, is it a huge risk for the Mariners? Uh, it is a risk. It's a risk. I think it's a bigger risk for Evan White, to yeah. be honest, in that, uh, in that, um, if he's, good uh he's going to way outperform his contract if you're uh, he's going to reach what would have been free agency he's going to be under contract and probably give away tens of millions of dollars but again if he's a if he's a bust uh you know as chris singleton being the most prominent example of a guy who signed a multi-year deal i think that was his name Uh, john singleton john singleton um and uh Who's Chris Singleton? I think he, he was, was a, a ba- he's a baseball player. He's baseball, like baseball player. Baseball That's right. Player. He yeah. he's the guy who does the the announcing. That's right. Um, then uh, then he'll have millions of dollars that he wouldn't have otherwise had. So it's a risk for, for both teams. But I think it shows the confidence that the Mariners have in him that he's going to be a productive major leaguer. And I think for for Evan, it was a chance to get some security and you know. You could say he's going to leave, maybe leave millions on the table, but he's also got uh, what? What was it? Total forty million. Um, oh yeah, twenty-four million. Twenty-four million guaranteed, the, and, yeah, and, that, and the options could push it to fifty. Yeah, I mean that sets you up. That sets you up for life right there. Yeah, you you, you may not, you may have to wait a little to become filthy rich, but uh, I think you and I would settle for twenty-four million. I mean, twenty-four million is. I mean, it's all guaranteed. It's. You know, it's not. I, I mean, I guess it could be generational wealth if you. And I don't think he's going to be out buying like Maybox and private jets and stuff like that. That's not how Evan White is wired. I think that's another thing. The Mariners felt like he was mature and responsible enough as a player to handle this sort of situation with John Singleton. The the Astros gave him ten million dollars, and then found out later that he had a he was addicted to marijuana, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a problem. You know, Scott Kingery got the same. Scott Kingery got the yeah. same deal as Evan White. You know, and he comes from a family that has money. So again, that may be the reason why you know you, you you don't really. I guess you could bet on yourself, but some guys just want that security. I think with Evan, you know, his mom was diagnosed with endometrial cancer um, this off season, 
and right, I think right as the season ended, and she started chemo. And I think it like from a financial standpoint, that's a lot of money. And I think, you know, you look around and he's getting married this year and all this other stuff that maybe some financial security at this point in his life for him, for his parents, for his family, that might be the best way to go instead of, you know, as baseball players always say, bet on themselves. Right. I'm pretty sure we discussed this on the last podcast. Oh, well, that's fine. <laughs> but, but our thoughts are more crystallized. Yeah, now. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, yeah, but then once with Evan White having that deal, that's another reason why, like, they had to move one of those catchers because they're just, you know, you're, you're going to want them on the roster at some point. And you're, be, I don't know what, how you would carry it the other way. You're going to move one of those guys eventually. So that's the catchers to move. Yeah. But, uh, boy, they're, they've, they, they're going to have some struggles next year. You've got to, <laughs> you're going to have a, you're going to have a guy who hasn't played above double A except for what three games? I think uh, yeah. Evan White. He had a brief, brief uh, sh- uh, call up to uh, Tacoma two years ago. But he's you know if he's your everyday uh, first baseman, there's going to be growing pains. Um, you know, there's Kyle Lewis. There's going to be more growing pains. The Dunn and Sheffield in the rotation. If they're in the rotation, growing pains. So, uh, you know, Hanniger's coming back from a serious injury. Crawford is still learning at this level. Uh, you know, she, she, I, where do you see if they don't trade Gordon? Where do you see Shed Long? Uh, is he going to start? And yeah, like that. yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's the everyday left fielder. Well, that's actually not because you've got probably Malix is going to be back in in center. Yeah. And Hanniger and Hanniger and Wright, and then uh, do you do you play long and long and left? I guess. Yeah, um, maybe. I mean, I, but what, what what about Lewis? You know, I think they're uh, gonna. I think they'll eventually trade D Gord before the season starts. Uh, they yeah. may have to, and if they don't trade him before the season starts, they'll trade him by midway through the season. They're gonna have to eat all the money, but I mm-hmm. think that you know it's counterproductive to what they want to do, what they're trying to build, and also. In the idea that they want to, um, you know, they want to play shed, you know, and they don't, D's not part of this going forward. So if you're willing to move Omar Narvaez because he's not part of your thing and, yes, you get something back, you shouldn't be afraid to eat some money and move D Gordon to do it because D doesn't want to be here anyways. I mean, like, not like he hates it here, but he wants a different opportunity. He knows what's going on. So, yeah, I, I think that's where it is. We don't have to worry about, there's one less outfielder you have to worry about, though, Larry, in a segue. D, uh, Domingo Santana, non-tendered. <laughs> I mean, they could yeah. not find a trade partner for him, and they tried. They yeah, really just, tried. I mean, it just shows how he fell off the face of the earth there after that. I mean, that I remember thinking through April that they that this was a real find from yeah. Jerry. They they got a guy that was a thirty homer, hundred RBI guy, and they kind of stole him from from Milwaukee. But I think eventually, slowly but surely, we saw why the, the Brewers kind of soured on him. You know, he had holes in his swing. He was not a good defensive player. That's and, putting it mildly that he was not a good <laughs> defensive player. Yeah. Like, hey. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like the Hindenburg was just a little bit of an air traffic <laughs> issue. And they – they, they they have a glut of outfielders. They've got the guys we mentioned, plus Jake Fraley and, yeah. and Malix, and then you know Kelnick and, and Julio on the way. Uh, there really wasn't a place for for uh, for Santana, so uh, it was not a surprise at all. And uh, the only uh, 
smaller surprise was that Tim Beckham was not tendered. I mean, that would have been a stunner if he was tendered. Yeah. I mean, it was almost the same thing with him. At the end of April, you would have thought another great find. Yeah. He was a player of the week in the majors to start the season and was just on fire. And then his uh, his deficiencies and flaws uh, revealed themselves as well. And then he was suspended. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if there's even a job in baseball for him. I think Santana will hook on with somebody or at least get a spring training look. I'm not so sure about Beckham coming. I mean, he's going to be under suspension going into next year, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. if you're the Orioles, don't you just – you don't have to pay Santana anything. You got that part. Yeah. Just bring him in and, and give him a try because – you know, I, that couldn't hurt them, I don't think. The Orioles or the Royals or somebody. I look at the Royals and what they did with Jorge Soler, you know. I mean, right. and you have, you know, you can use the DH spot. I, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he goes to an NL team. But, you know, people yeah. thought that, like, the elbow issues that he had were the reason. He just got exposed. Um, his swing, you know, people started pitching him differently. I mean, he struck out. Like, when he was bad at the plate, it was – horrible like it didn't ever look like he was ever going to make contact on any pitch yeah yeah he was as streaky as it was fun having him in the outfield on the on the sense that you never knew what was going to happen so every fly ball out there was entertaining it was kind of like when nori aoki was out there like i would just randomly laugh in the press box anytime because just the unintentional humor of all that and and i mean and like domingo santana had kind of that whoa yeah like the, <laughs> the stoner kind of like just yeah. the mindset he's so slow and docile and yeah it yeah, well, just cracked me up and then there was a stretch there remember when uh malik smith was having trouble catching oh, fly yeah. balls too so every fly ball was an adventure when they had uh, domingo and him out there so you know there, there's a chance that and and beckham was a hack at uh, shortstop too and they played him in the outfield where he was terrible yeah, so, I mean, there are some, you can envision this team, I mean, we, we all remember how bad they were for the first half of the season defensively, you know, on, on pace to set Mariner records for errors, and they didn't, they tightened it up in the second half, but I think one area where they'll be improved from the start of the season, you know, with White at first base, who's a gold, you know, no matter what kind of adjustment he'll have to make it to play, he's a gold glove caliber defensive mm-hmm first baseman everyone agrees on that and he'll be in he i think he'll be a huge upgrade at that position and save you know it'll have a trickle effect to the entire infield and with that with santana not in the outfield and malik's when he went and worked with mike cameron you know he came back and he was a different guy much better defensively uh yeah it's that's and narvaez not behind the plate you know i think there'll be some subtle improvement in that area that uh, that will help them. They, um, the that wasn't the only um, roster moves or moves. The Mariners signed a pair of pitchers uh, right in, going into the the Thanksgiving weekend. Jerry was thankfully he did it. You know the the Carl Edwards Jr. news broke out on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Uh, he did it didn't come at like Wednesday morning. It wasn't at like eight p.m. You know the night before Thanksgiving. Not that it would have mattered to me because I wasn't <laughs> doing anything, but. Um, I you know these are the kind of guys that that the Mariners are going to sign. They're going to try and sign another starting pitcher, and they're going to sign another 
veteran reliever. And these guys that are coming off injuries or bad years but have had some track record of success and they're bounce-back candidates that don't cost very much money, that's who they're going to sign. I mean, Carl Edwards Jr., when he was with the Cubs, is pretty damn electric at times. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was a big part of that team that won the World Series. Uh, and he was electric. And But, uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Th- these are classic Mariner signings at this stage of their rebuild. Mm-hmm. Guys with some upside who have performed but are are uh, available because there's something wrong. And in both of their cases, it was injury. I mean, Graveman didn't pitch last year. Uh and um, Edwards was very limited. Uh, got ended up getting traded to the Padres and only appeared in in two games. Um, so they're bounce back candidates. I mean, these aren't the kind of guys that are going to get people uh, running to the phone to sign up for season tickets. No. Uh, they're not going to sign anybody like that, I don't think. But um, you know, if if they're both young enough, where if they get healthy, they you might have something if for nothing else than for a stretch drive trade. Mm-hmm. If Edwards, if Edwards can get back to the form that he had just uh, two years ago, I mean, 2017, he struck out 94 and 66 innings and he was just almost as you know, basically as good in 2018. You could, you could, teams are desperate for, for short relievers at the trade deadline. So you could leverage that into something. And Graveman could be a uh, he, he he's a fallback in the rotation if some of the young players don't work out. And like you said, they're going to probably get a couple more guys like that as well. I'm just kind of let them battle it out to see who who's the the guy who fills in. So in that in the round of non tenders, Taiwan Walker was non tendered by the uh, Diamondbacks making a free agent. There was actually quite a few good players that were non tendered. Uh, I think teams are getting smarter with money. And they're not wanting to spend even that six, five and six million dollars in salary arbitration to some of these guys that they don't maybe view as like a, a zero war or replacement level player. Would the would you think the Mariners would do a, a reunion hmm. with Taiwan? Uh, I, my question is when is he going to be ready to pitch? I yeah, mean, basically hasn't pitched for two years. Um, did he have Tommy John? Is that what he, he had? had Tommy or? John, and then in the midst of coming back from the Tommy John, he had. Um, uh, that shoulder capsule, he had a strain yeah. there, which is always kind of scary. Uh, I don't see any harm in it, you know. he's uh, You invested so much in him, it would be a shame if he, uh, you know, someone else got him and he, and he blossomed. He's still fairly young, but the his status as a super prospect, now he's just a, a guy. He's just a guy now trying to, trying to come back. So, uh, I you know, I I would be open to signing him if I were them with with little expectations. He's probably going to need some more rehab and and a season in the minor leagues to to um, you know reestablish himself. But he's still only he's still young. Yeah, I think he's twenty seven. Yeah. Yeah. But you look back on that trade now, and it's kind of fascinating when you evaluate it. Uh, Hanniger looked like he was going to be the steal of the trade. Uh, he had an all-star season and then last year it was just a lost season for him um, everyone thought Walker was the key to the trade for the Diamondbacks and then Marte was third and I think third or fourth in the MVP voting last year and uh, miraculously 
turned into a, a power hitter with 32 home runs and 981 OPS. I don't think anybody saw that coming. I, I know there's a, there's some suspicions about yeah. <laughs> what led to that turnaround, but um, and then you know Segura did well for the Mariners. Uh, when you look at the numbers and and got him Crawford. So we'll see what Crawford develops into. He's going to be their starting shortstop, but there's still a very open question about whether he's going to be a a good a good shortstop at, at this level. Well, you saw of uh, and you saw the uh, where the report like that they're the Phillies are looking at trying to get Didi Gregorius, and they're willing to move Segura so he'd be like yeah. his sixth team. And that guy yeah. just wears out his welcome. He just he uh, does he does yeah and. There's just some guys like that that just get traded over and over and over again. I remember uh, Bobby Bonds when oh. when uh, had it was as talented a player as there was, and yet he played for a million teams because he wore out his welcome as well. Um, he played for the Giants, the Angels, the Cardinals, the Rangers, the Cubs, the Indians, the Yankees, and the White Sox. <laughs> and this was a guy who who made five All Star teams. So, um, yeah, I mean that's you know I wonder what some of those non tender guys if they're going to get better deals. They're not necessarily the bounce back um, candidates that maybe like uh, you, you know the Mariners are changing. Taiwan fits it because of the injury and such. You know I don't think you're spending a lot on him. Um, but you know, I I'm sure. Well, I think you know Blake Trinan and Kevin Gosman, two guys yeah. that were non-tender guys. I would take a look at um, Jimmy Nelson. You know, those are guys you could take a look at. I, again, that's it's whether or not they want to come here as well. Like there could be better opportunities for them to make teams or whatever. You know, in other places. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, I'm sure Jerry will go down that road. But I yeah. To- I don't know. Trinan was a guy that jumped out at me uh, as a guy that the Mariners would be interested in. Um, they need a they need a closer type, and this guy was he was right up there with Diaz two years ago. He was incredible, and uh, then he had kind of a down year last year. But he's a bounce. He's a strong bounce back candidate. I think. Yeah. I think he, he's a little older than I thought he was. I think he's in his early thirties. Yeah. But um, I, I know the A's are trying to, to to re-sign him as well, and I wouldn't be surprised if he went back to Oakland after it was all said and done. But yeah, uh, I could see him as a guy the Mariners would look at. Um. Yeah. So Jerry says we're going. Winter meetings are. I leave. I fly out on Sunday for the winter meetings. Sunday yeah. morning, at six a.m. I don't know what the hell I was. Thinking. I think it was because I was trying to. If Paul's listening. I was booking the cheapest flight to save the time some money. Um, and you wanted to get to San Diego. Yeah. And I, my, I, I wonder if you're going to ever make even make it back. You like San Diego? So oh, I know. I might do. just stay for the winter. I know. I do. <laughs> um, Jerry said that they're not going to be very active at the winter meetings. I mean. He he wants to sign a pitcher and a reliever, but he kind of admitted that kind of their shopping area on that might have to wait until you know the the round of kind of the high tier and then the middle tier free agents go before they can get some of those signings done. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought Narvaez was something that would get done at the winter meeting. I was, was hoping done. that. Yeah, it's it was... always better when there's actual news while you're there. But I mean, that's what Jerry 
Jerry tends to do these things before the winter meetings. Uh, GMs aren't as cognizant anymore of making those deals at the winter meetings, which has really dimmed the luster of that event, which is unfortunate, I think. Mm-hmm. It used to be a time when baseball would capture everybody's attention as the center of the sports world. Now it's an afterthought. It, it's right in the middle of the playoff drive for football, and I think there's going to be far more interest in what's happening in football, even though it's during the week, than than what's happening in the winter meetings because uh, there's just been an absence of blockbusters the last few years. Yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be weird. So, like, I, mean, we, I know we discussed this, but like, basically, at the winter meetings, you just sit in the ballroom and look at Twitter and text agents and text sources. I mean, like, you do do some networking with like your scouts and some of your sources at night. You know, got to buy them a beer here and there. Um, you know, I'm not. You know, I know a few agents. So I'll talk to them, but it's not like I'm hanging out with Scott Boris like some of these guys or <laughs> Casey Close or these guys. You know, I don't – it doesn't work like that for all of us. And I'm not – so there are some guys, you know, Heyman does it especially. He just stalks the, the the lobby just waiting for guys to walk by to have conversations. All the national guys do for the most part. And I would rather take stick my head in a vice and just start <laughs> cranking it to the left. Well, it's – I mean – it's just changed so much over the years. My first winter meetings that I covered was in 1988, I think. So it's been basically uh, almost 30 years. Um, and you used to see all the GMs would hang out in the lobby and be available. And, and now they pretty much check into the hotel and go to their suites and you don't see them. They don't need to come down anymore. Uh, so there's much less of of that of interacting with the actual people who are making the trades i mean each beat core uh has a meeting each day with their gm so you do have access to depoto and and every every writer has access to the guy they're covering but you just don't have a chance to network as much with the the actual movers and shakers and there's uh, the agents you're right you just get tired of of getting the one-sided uh point of view of the agents and it's always a it's a right of of the uh, winter meetings that boris will come usually on day two oh. and can and camp in the lobby and word kind of filters boris is there boris is there and everybody pretty soon there's this scrum of about 50 people around boris it's really very very distasteful the whole thing um and he has, like, all these little puns and sayings that he has, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, like, he comes up with a new one every year. Yeah, and, 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 and he stands himself up on top of chairs or risers, so he's above everybody talking down. I really, the one year, I really just wanted to go in when Willie, Willie Bloomquist was a free yeah. agent. I really wanted to go in. So what do you think the market is for Willie Bloomquist? <laughs> right, yeah. I did. I do remember standing in one of those scrums and, and actually asking him about Bloomquist. And he, he was actually happy that I asked him because he had an answer ready. But yeah. the thing is is he commands i don't know who he I, I don't pay as much attention to who's representing who anymore but i think he's got uh does he have strasburg he um, does he yeah strasburg. He, i mean he he always has two or three of the best guys so you've got to particularly if you're in the new york market or the la market or oh, philadelphia yeah. you can't just ignore scott boris if your team uh, you know none of <laughs> 
the Mariners aren't going to go after any of his high end no, guys for no. not for a while. Not for a while, anyway. They have in the past, but yeah. uh, not uh, certainly not not this year. So you don't have to worry too much about him. But uh, you know, I I I understand why why the the media members uh, do still you know surround him and listen to what he has to say. Yeah, he's a. Uh... But the other, the frustrating thing is that his clients never sign until the, I mean, later and later, January and into February now. Yeah. Uh, that that's why football and basketball free agency has become better than baseballs, because there's a deadline and you get this frenetic uh, signing action that's exciting to watch. You know that short window in uh, the NFL when they, you know, guys just start getting signed when they uh when free agency comes about and it happens in basketball too but in baseball i mean hit the winter meetings are in december and a lot of these big name guys won't sign until february yeah it's uh i don't know i'll be i'll be interested to see i i know he can't just sit still and he'll make some smaller signings i think and everything like that um and i think that you know, again, he'll shop D Gordon. The thing is with second base, it's not like a position that a lot of teams are willing to just go out and say, oh, God, we got to have a second baseman. That's the position where they'll try a young kid to start the season or they'll – like the the Brewers tried Mike Moustakis there for a while. You know, like, well, we'll we'll see if we can figure out at second base. If it doesn't work by midseason, we'll go get a guy. But I, I do think – I mean, it really serves no purpose to what the Mariners want to do going forward if they don't trade D Gordon to start the season. You want to have Shed Long there playing with JP Crawford every day. I mean JP JP uh, Crawford, um, Evan White, Shed Long, you know, you want them out there. Kylos, you guys want them all out they want them all out there at all times. And I don't I don't know um, you know, if, if if it's feasible, I don't know what the market is, but that's something they should definitely try and do. Yeah, I would think so as well and for the very reasons you just delineated because uh, it's going to be a. It's going to be hard to find playing time for Shed Long if uh, D is is still around. And uh, uh, you know, a lot of times you go into spring training and just see if there's an injury as well. Uh, teams teams suddenly come up with a need that they didn't know they had. Mm-hmm. And, and you see that as well too. And uh, you know what you go into spring training with is particularly with Jerry is not necessarily what you go into the season with last year. They got Murphy late in the year and he became a key player for them. Um, and, uh, he's, he's done that before as well. Yeah. I'll be interested to see what he does. I, I mean, I, I think he'll do a few little deals, but it might be a little difficult trying to cobble together stories from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then the rule five is Thursday morning. They're going to take a rule five guy. I mean, given where they're at and how well Brandon Brennan works. Yeah. The 26 guys on the roster this year, instead of 25, they're going to take, they'll take a rule of five guy. I'm certain. I'm sure it'll be an arm. And then service, they have the managerial oh, yeah. sessions. So that's always good for one day story. <laughs> service uh, talking about his thoughts about the season. So that'll give you a freebie that one day. But uh, yeah, uh, 
that's the worst part of the winter meetings from our standpoint is uh, is when nothing and nothing is happening and you still have to kind of manufacture a story yeah. and uh, that's where you, a guy like jerry who's a glib talker helps you know yeah. i remember when pavese pavese <laughs> was the GM. Oh. <laughs> yeah or I, even I, jack I mean, would never tell us anything yeah either. jack too and even gaelic was very Killick was very guarded, but Lou would tell us. We'd find Lou at the bar, and he'd tell us whatever <laughs> we needed to know. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, it was uh, that was just beautiful. But um, uh, at least um, you know, I think Depoto. You can be counted on. You can count on him doing something to, yeah, <laughs> to give I you mean, something to write about. He'll 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 talk enough. I mean. Um, I, I'm trying to think last year because one of the days we didn't have anything. He made the the Encarnacion trade from his his hospital bed, which was fun to write about. But <laughs> I think the first day or two there wasn't a whole lot. I, I mean, like, and it doesn't always have to be Depoto either. Like last year, I got that clarification from Seeger's agent and and from the Mariners about that that uh, clause in his contract. The poison you pill. Know, yeah. yeah, that was that was a fun story to write. You know, and it, it's amazing. No matter how many times I write it and, and reference that or tweet out the link to people, they still, they can't fathom why they can't trade Kyle Seager. It's just like, and, you know, like, like right now, instead of having two years left on his deal, he would have three years at $52 million. I mean, is, is anybody signing Kyle Seager to that free agent contract right now, uh, given his age and even the health issues he's had? No, but he did. He did have a really strong second half. If he can help, uh, maintain that and have a, a really good, consistent, full season, uh, then you're then maybe they could maybe they could deal him at the deadline. And the person would only be looking at two years plus a little bit if uh uh-oh. If they're <laughs> uh, if they're desperate for you know for a, a third base bat, you know it's possible that uh, you know the longer he plays, the longer his the the, the more his uh, future uh, obligations go down. But the, and also the older he gets too, so that's all. Uh, he's, he's it's going to be hard to trade him unless he just has a. You know, just a great season, which he did have a great half season at the end of last year. So, uh, you know, those he made those changes in his conditioning and his body. And then we never had a chance to see if they would work because he got hurt right away. And then when he came back, uh, you know, maybe he's on to something because he did have a really good second half once he got healthy and came back. So I'll be very interested to see uh, what kind of year he has. All right, I think we can wrap it up. That's been good. We took the week off. We came back. There was some newsy stuff, so we'll wrap it up. And uh, after the meetings, we'll do another one before I get ready to go back to Montana. We'll have to do one from Montana as well, I'm sure. Yeah, let's. We got people geared up now for a regular uh, podcast, so we got to keep I up know. with it. We got to do. We got to do our uh, Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, yeah, podcast. We do, yeah, we got to do that one. We'll do that one in December when I'm in Montana. Or what was his December? But no, I'm in Montana. We'll do that one there. Yeah, I can have my dad. I, we can go on. Maybe I can have my dad pop on and yell at me about my ballot again. <laughs> well, don't forget to bring your ballot with you so you don't miss the deadline. Yeah, I, I won't. Uh, All right, man. All right, Take have, a good, uh, have a good have a good winter meeting. Someone. Oh yeah, I, mean, yeah. I can me... tell how much you're you're missing it. <laughs> not, not at all. Uh, not at all. But I would. I do hope there's some some news for you.
This has been the Extra Innings Podcast presented by the Seattle Times with your host, Ryan Divish. Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. Follow Ryan on Twitter, at Ryan Divish, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening.